Okay, I'll pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this new day. Thank you for uh, the rains uh, that both water the earth uh, and uh, remind us uh, that you are the God who has uh, washed us clean, uh, sprinkled water upon us uh, and removed every stain and, and blemish. And so we come to you in the name of Jesus this morning and pray uh, for your mercy, for your grace. Uh, we come empty-handed and ask to be filled. You are the God who has all things. Uh, and we pray that in Christ you would bless us with every spiritual blessing. Uh, meet with us. Uh, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, this is going to be the last of these sessions on um, a little series we've been doing called Gospel Culture. Uh, and what we've been trying to do is, is ask the question, how does the gospel, which is a message, an announcement... Uh, how does it form a, a culture in the people who embrace it, who believe it? Uh, or to put it another way, what should a church look like that really believes the gospel? Okay, I know we believe the gospel, but it takes time to work the way through. I think a few times I've used the illustration of um, your hot water system at home, where you know, one of the radiators goes cold, and the system could be, could be working, but it's just that the water's not quite getting round. Uh, the pipe work's blocked. Uh, and today I want to think about patience and gentleness and humility and really how they grow out of uh, a good understanding of the gospel. Uh, so I want to start by thinking not so much about the death of Christ uh, as about how we come to believe in the death of Christ. We know Jesus died for us. Uh, we know without Christ's death on the cross there's no forgiveness of sins. Uh, we know his death cleanses us from sin. And in that sense, what we usually talk about when we talk about the cross, is, is what's traditionally known as his priestly work. Jesus is the high priest who offers himself uh, as a sacrifice for our sin. But actually, if, if, if I can put it this way, if Christ only was a priest, that wouldn't be enough for our salvation. We need something more. Um, if, if Christ was um, to, to die for us, and the gospel message, if you like, was put on a table like a cup, and, and the, the invitation was simply there, hey, come and take it, drink it, no one ever would. Okay, we know we're blind enough in our sins and corrupt enough in our hearts that we'd never come and actually take the gospel medicine, uh, as it were. So what we need is for Jesus not just to accomplish salvation on the cross, but to come and actually apply it to our lives. So I want to look at a few passages that, that pick up this theme. Um, come with me to 2 Corinthians 4, please. 2 Corinthians 4. We're going to dot around a little bit in this session this morning. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse, I'll read from verse 3. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, that's the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Okay, so so what, what are we like before we come to believe? We're blind. We can't see the truth. There's a veil in front of our face, faces. Uh, and we cannot see. Uh, so what does Paul do? We proclaim, not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, uh, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How is it that someone came to believe the gospel? God opened their eyes. God shone his light uh, into our hearts. 
That's why the Gospels are full of pictures of Jesus healing blind men. Okay, they're not just random miracles. They're not just healing miracles. Of course, they are that. They're, they're miracles that are meant to show us that he's come to open the eyes of the spiritually blind. Uh, or one more example. Come, come with me to Acts and the story of Paul. Uh, the conversion of Paul comes several times in Acts. Uh, let's start in Acts 9, which is the first time, the, the actual kind of um, the historical account, if you like, the, the time that the, um, Paul is travelling along uh, the Damascus Road and gets converted. Uh, you remember he's been persecuting the church. And in Acts 9, verse 4, he falls to the ground and hears a voice, Christ, saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the kind of story goes on. Um, Christ, he's converted. Sorry, that's my phone going off. Thanks to Google. Explaining what the voice TV program is. No idea. Um, where were you? So yeah, so what, what is Jesus going to send Paul to do? Or Saul. Verse 8. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. Okay, so he starts off, his eyes are open but he can't see anything. Uh, so they led him by the hand, they bring him to Damascus. And verse 9, for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Uh, then in verse 18, um, Ananias comes, um, he's a Christian already, lays hands on him. What happens? Uh, he was, um, let's go from verse 17. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road by which he came, uh, you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptised and taking food was strengthened. So he can't see anything. He gets converted essentially. The scales fall from his eyes and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. See how coming to faith is pictured as coming to sight, having your sight restored. And the significance of that comes a little bit later in Acts when Paul is on trial. He spends the rest of the book preaching about Christ, as you know. So Acts 26... Look how he understands his mission, and by extension, how we understand ours. Acts 26, he's on trial, he's being persecuted, uh, and prosecuted for this new religion he supposedly invented. And so Paul tells the story of his conversion uh, to this king, Agrippa, Acts 26. And so verse 15, here he tells the story, which looked at, I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise, stand upon your feet, for I've appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things which you have seen me, uh, in which you've seen me, and to those which I've appeared to you, uh, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of God, uh, of Satan to God, so they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me Paul has his eyes open he's blind, can't see something like scales fall from his eyes we're told when he gets converted in Acts 9 and then when he tells the story later he says Jesus said to him I'm sending you to open other people's eyes Uh, this is the work of Christ the prophet in other words Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one and the, the three anointed roles in the Bible in the Old Testament are prophet, priest and king so as priest, he cleanses us, but as prophet, he needs to open our eyes. Otherwise, we'll never believe anyway. 
Uh, again, just another way of saying salvation is by grace alone or by God uh, alone, not just in how it's accomplished, but how it's applied into your very life. And as we see in the, in the New Testament, even once we believe, uh, even once we're Christians, we've embraced the gospel, we can see who Jesus is, um, we still don't see perfectly clearly. Okay? I mean, I can see, I can see you now, but you know, I, need, I need glasses still, I need contact lenses. If I haven't got my lenses in, I can sort of see you, I know you're people, but I wouldn't be too clear who you all were. And our, our sight's a little bit like that. Uh, that's why in the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul can pray in Ephesians 1. Sorry for the sort of paper chase this morning. We're nearly there and then we'll do some discussion. But Ephesians 1, he prays for these people who are already Christians. Okay, they're already believers, saved, forgiven, going to heaven. But what does he pray? Ephesians 1 and verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you and the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. And on he goes. Yes, you can see, you know the gospel, you believe it, but I pray for you that your eyes will be opened more and more, enlightened more and more. We won't turn to it now, but in Revelation 3, the church in Laodicea, remember the church, you, you, know, you think you're so rich, but actually you're poor, says Christ. And he says, I counsel you to buy from me salve, like an ointment for your eyes. Again, the Christians... And he says, those I love, I discipline, you're, you're part of my people, but you, your eyes have got sort of gunked up. You, you still can't quite see as clearly as you should. So actually, even the ongoing process of growing as a Christian seeing is a process of seeing more and more clearly. Yes, we have our eyes open at conversion, um, but the need for Christ to, to keep enlightening us, to rely on grace for growth in our knowledge uh, and um, sight of Christ continues all the way through our earthly life. So, uh, with that in mind, I'm, I'm aware we've not talked about patience, gentleness, humility yet, but we're going to come to that. But just for a, a first little discussion, round tables, if someone sort of takes the lead, kicks it off, um, have a crack at those three questions. Um, how should what we've seen affect how we approach the Bible? Okay, think about coming to sermons or home group or your own Bible reading. Uh, how should it affect what we think of ourselves? Okay, as general as you like there. And then how do we view others who disagree with us? So this idea that it's Christ who has to open our eyes and Christ who continues to enlighten us on the journey. Round tables, have a crack. Off you go. Okay. Sorry, you might not have got through all that, but um, hopefully uh, you got somewhere at least. Um, as ever, just for the sake of time, we won't plough through uh, everything, getting feedback from everybody. Um, I mean, hopefully the first one's relatively obvious in some ways. It's so easy to think of the Bible as something we master, isn't it? In the same way as I master a Shakespeare text if I'm an English student or a history document if I'm a historian. Or, um, but actually, we constantly need to rely on Christ uh, in prayer to open our eyes by the power of his spirit. So we should be coming humbly to the word, um, prayerful, thankful, um, encouraged too, because it means I don't have to be, if I don't think of myself as someone who's super clever, um, that's okay. The Bible isn't just for those with high IQs, like, getting firsts in degrees at uni or whatever. If it's, if it's Christ by his spirit who opens our eyes, and that's, that's great news for all of us. Um, we could be bottom of, the, bottom of the set at school. doesn't matter. Christ has the power to open our eyes and see wonderful things in his word. So it is encouraging, uh, and as well as humbling. Hopefully it gives us a bit of a less, 
or a lower opinion of ourselves. I think here, just in preparing this, it made me think not just about our own kind of how sure we are about our own theological convictions, we'll come on to that in a minute, but even just about other things that are sort of less central. So some things in the Bible are utterly clear, aren't they? Jesus is the son of God who died for our sins. Some things are less clear. So we, we, you know, we just got to admit that, for example, for quite a long time, Christians have disagreed about whether you ought to baptise babies or not. Now, I think the Bible says you should. Okay, we're about to baptise my daughter later in the service. You've got to take a position on these things, at least if you're a minister, you do. You've got to decide whether the church is going to do those sort of things or not. But we've got to admit that, I don't know, um, Emmanuel Baptist up the road... The reason they're not baptising and they wouldn't baptise my daughter is not because they're some sort of terrible Bible-denying heretics, just they read the Bible differently to me. Okay? The reason they don't baptise babies is they think the Bible says you shouldn't baptise babies. Um, so just a bit of humility when we're holding opinions that are, if you like, off the central ones. It doesn't mean you don't hold them, it just means you hold them with gentleness, um, grace, a bit of humility. I think that goes too for non-theological opinions. This is what I was, I was meaning to say a moment ago. Um, you might have really strong opinions about how controversial, what's all the things that wind people up. Um, Brexit, pro-Brexit, not pro-Brexit. Okay, really strong opinions, but it's not absolutely clear in the Bible which is the right position. And if you think it is, I, I think you're probably wrong. <laughs> um, uh, you might be, um, I mean, COVID, flip, COVID. In the last couple of weeks, I've spoken to people at massive extreme ends of this, of this extra. Um, it's all a complete hoax through to total madness that anyone's come out of that house you know, now you might have strong opinions um, someone asked me I think it was someone asked one of you anyway recently asked me oh someone was a bit surprised when they came to church um, about our approach to mask wearing and I just genuinely when people say that now I, I don't know which end people are surprised at what I have to ask were you surprised we weren't all wearing them or we were all wearing them because people just have such different opinions and that's fine we just need to be kind with each other um, we're going to come to different conclusions because it's not something God has dropped out of heaven a really clear message on. The, the one that always interests me here, I think, is um, just by way of example, is um, the difference between American and English Christians. I think, you know, because we're English, we look down on Americans because we've got this kind of cultural superiority. But it, it's just fascinating, isn't it? Almost every Christian that I've come across in England, for example, thinks the NHS, as in state medicine, is a good thing. You go to America, they all think it's nuts. Not all of them, but loads of them think it's totally nuts. Now, that might be because we're super biblical and, you know, see it all super clearly, and they're all idiots, but it might be that we've just had different upbringings. And the chances are that if we'd grown up in America, maybe we'd think state medicine was nuts, and if they grew up in England, they'd think it was a good idea, or guns, or whatever it might be. Yeah, these are people who often have exactly the same theological beliefs, but they're different kind of political or economic or social beliefs. We just need to be a bit humble with them. Um, in terms of how we hold them, and not too kind of looking down our nose uh, at others. Uh, which leads us really on to the, just this second section, patience, gentleness, and humility, that the virtues, I think, grow out of realising that everything that we believe and any truth that we see is truth we see purely because Jesus revealed it, not because we brilliantly discovered it. Um, I put the verses on the sheet. I mean, it really is a, it's a scattergun of... Verses on gentleness and humility and patience. Uh, so Paul says, let your gentleness be known to everybody. This church in Philippi has had a bit of fighting. Remember those women, Euodia and Syntyche have fallen out. No, let your gentleness be known to everybody. If you've got an ESV, it'll say reasonableness. But um, everywhere else it translates that word gentleness. It is just a normal gentleness word. I don't know why they say reasonableness randomly there. 
uh, or, or leaders, when, when Paul's writing to Timothy about what, what should an elder look like. An overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. What does leadership look like? Leadership looks like gentleness for Paul. Uh, and hence Timothy is told that you must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And so it's not that Timothy and Titus are being told to be soft and wet and, hey, one person says Jesus rose again, another one didn't. Um, that's one of the debates that goes on in the pastoral epistles. And so you sort of say, hey, who cares? Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. No, of course not. You've got to hold to the truth and teach it um, and oppose those who are wrong. But you do so with gentleness and humility because you know the only reason you believe it and they don't, well, is because of Christ's grace, not your brilliance. Um, on we go. I, I think the striking one there, um, 2 Corinthians 10 on the sheet, I, Paul, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. The Son of God was described as gentle and meek. That is an extraordinary thing, isn't it? Gentle and meek. Uh, even though he was the only one who was always right, uh, the only one who absolutely could be sure that everything he thought on everything was bang on. And yet still he was gentle and meek. And that's why we won't go through it now. You can turn later if you want. Ephesians 4, gentleness is paired with humility and leads to patience. Uh, we're keen to maintain the bond of truth, the unity of the spirit. Because we're people who understand that everything we believe is only because of the grace of God. And if someone doesn't believe or thinks differently, it's not because of anything great in me, but because at the moment Christ hasn't yet revealed it to them. Or possibly because actually I'm wrong. <laughs> We've got to hold some of our opinions a little bit less tightly. Maybe I'm just wrong on this, and Christ hasn't yet shown me the truth. So this isn't about being patronised by other people. Well, one day Christ will show you what he's shown me. It's having the humility to say, well, maybe on this I've made a mistake. Um, so let's have um, go back round tables discussion. Um, hopefully, those questions are pretty obvious. Ten minutes or so, round tables. Over to you. Thanks. Okay, we ought to wrap up. Um, hopefully one of the things Sunday School does is just sort of warm us up for the rest of the morning. So you've got good things to be talking about in the gap between now and uh, now and the service starting. Um, I imagine those questions were straightforward enough. You don't need me to uh, get my thoughts shared on them. So let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you were meek and gentle you didn't treat us as our sins deserved but although you had every right uh, to come just in judgment uh, instead you came in mercy uh, to save uh, we pray we live in light of your mercy and gentleness uh, with us we thank you for your patience towards us um, continually foolish though we are and still your mercies are new every morning uh, we pray that uh, as we gaze upon you more and more that you would pour your spirit upon us give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might see you more clearly and we ask that, that in turn makes us gentle people gentle with our families gentle with those who disagree with us gentle at work gentle with our brothers and sisters at church Lord, we don't want to be soft people who bend on the truth and don't hold fast to your revelation but we don't want to be arrogant people who think that we're in any way greater than others so give us uh, both gentleness uh, and courage uh, as we interact with those around us.
Lord bless us, we pray in your own name. Amen.